listening to Nerds on Film with Brian Moriarty, Sarah Ashley, Sean Moriarty, and Roxy Noberry. Hi, guys. What's up? How's it going? Hey, Roxy. Hi, Gina. I feel like I haven't been behind the mic in like two months. How's it feel? It's been a minute. It's been a little bit, hasn't it? No, welcome back. Thank you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> Wow. So, um, welcome back to all of us, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It yeah. has been a minute for. It was a good break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Needed. Recharging. Yeah. Rejuvenation. Yes. So, I'm curious. Uh, we have to talk about, like, what, what, what have we seen lately? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I can bring up one in particular that I have seen. Uh, I went and saw Kevin Smith's Tusk. Oh, I did too. I'm curious what you thought about oh, it. Oh, my goodness. Okay. No spoilers. I was it fantastic? Yet. It was a clusterfuck. Uh, like a good clusterfuck or a bad clusterfuck? Okay. Like an evil dead clusterfuck? As in Kevin Smith does a comedy horror movie clusterfuck. Yeah. Mm. And it was a shocker. For sure. And as a Canadian, like, Degrassi and Kevin Smith fan, I was totally delighted because there's all this Kevin Smith humor that everyone can really, really appreciate. Sure. You know, it's pretty much like, my. I think my initial reaction was like, Clerks meets Saw. <laughs> wow. Um, Very it, much so, yeah. Kind of a strange, you know, conglomeration of, of sorts. Uh, but you've basically got... Who's who's in this? You've got... Um, Justin Haley, Long. You've got Justin Long. You've got Haley Joel Osment, who got a little chubby. Yeah. Um, Genesis Rodriguez. Genesis was, Rodriguez was amazing. She was great. And, I, of course, Michael Parks. Dude, Parks. okay. So, basically, Kevin Smith says, I wanted to put Ke- Michael Parks in a really fucked up movie. Like, yeah. That was his whole intention for Tusk. Right. My, I gotta say, though, my favorite performance in the film was uh, Guy Lepoint. Oh, which yeah. Which I will not spoil who the actor is, because no. he's only credited as Guy Lepoint, but he is fantastic. Freaking tastic! It's his best acting in the last decade in that movie. <laughs> yes, I agree. I will totally support that and say that's probably one of the saving graces to the film. I agree. If anything, that part of the film. For me, the film takes a very, very. It's almost like a weird comedy suspense thriller, and mm. then the moment you see him as the walrus, and that's not a spoiler. Kevin Smith has outright said yeah. said that what the movie's about. <laughs> yes. When you see him as the walrus, it is a whole other level of of wow. I went and saw it with my friends and my female friend, it's actually a mutual friend of ours, Kat Sylvan. Oh, we saw a cat? Okay. She wept. (laughs) She wept? She openly wept. Like, tears. Like, like her boyfriend had to console her. And, I mean, I I don't think she's going to be embarrassed by me talking about how, like... From being frightened or... I don't know. That's the thing. Or just the release of seeing it. I want to say it was a combination of both. It was a combination of fear, confusion, Confusion, terror, and all around just like, uh, what? <laughs> that was kind of the looks huh. on our faces. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, but I yeah. think what we can take from it is that thanks to this movie, even though it was not a huge success, mm-hmm. it's now going to pave the way for Clerks 3. Which is awesome. And, and the I'm, rest of his Canadian trilogy. There which, you go, Trip I'm, North. I'm really looking forward to Yoga yeah. Hosers. That sounds like a really um, fun movie. I'm <laughs> really looking forward to Moose Jaws. Dude, Moose Jaws. Jaws with Moose. <laughs> with like, moose. That's, that's all it, that's <laughs> like, gonna be. What the fuck? Like, goes, okay. It's going to be Jaws. Isn't moose. moose Jaws the name of a, isn't that name of a town that's in Canada? I want to say most likely, yes. yes. <laughs> wow. I just like the weird. idea of like seeing the antlers. That's, you know, that that's all that's cut off. You see the antlers on screen coming at you. You're like, what? Instead of the fin. 
<laughs> so Some fucked up stuff, man. Anyway. But it's going to be, you know, a lot of the same actors who were in Tusk and then some. Yeah. And I think yeah. Kevin Smith is ca- coming into a second phase of his career now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And th- I'm really excited to see what he's going to come he, up with. He went into that second phase with Red State. Yeah. True that. This, True is where, that. this is where he is. Which was terrifying. Yeah. Red State was terrifying. Well, he actually thought Red State was going to be his, like, he. Yeah, he said he was out. Like he right. even yeah. said acrimoniously, he left the industry and yeah. somehow. Yeah. He re- I, yeah. Here's the thing: I think Kevin Smith has just been really moody. Oh yeah, and <laughs> and so I what's really I find very frustrating to me is that I don't want to criticize anybody for their life choices, for their artistic choices, or whatever. But I find it much harder to relate to this Kevin Smith. Than I did the old Kevin Smith it's because he smokes and too much weed. I, that's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. And it's not. And it's not that he's a stoner. Okay, <laughs> it's that the decisions he makes now, his artistic decisions that he makes, I find much harder to relate to. Yeah. And I would hate to think that he has become disconnected. Mm. But to me, it feels like he's disconnected. Let's be honest. Tusk was born out of an hour long conversation that he had with Scott Mosier, which yeah. that episode. I listened to that episode like a couple days after it came out. I was crying <laughs> my eyes because it was so fucking funny. Yeah. And I was like, I hashtagged Walrus Yes yeah. and was like, fucking do it. And I, except I said, I said that Gary Oldman needed to play Michael <gasps> Park's character. Yeah. Um, nice. But I was like, oh my God, yes. Like, this is totally ridiculous. Absolutely. And so I'm glad that he made it. Mm-hmm. Like, but in that same way that I'm glad that, like, Army of Darkness exists. Like, yeah. that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And it's kind of groundbreaking, too, because this is the first feature film that we've ever heard of that was inspired by a podcast. Yeah. Isn't that great? Isn't that, like, facts. that's And the fact is, crazy. they do such good social commentary on the, the, the reality that podcasting is and how yeah. popular it is now and how just kind of ridiculous it can be you yeah. know because the whole sure. you know concept is wallace brighton the main character who played right. just along yeah. is this pretty obnoxious character who happens to host a podcast yeah and his little sidekick you know is is played by Haley joel osman the two of them together they, they have a podcast called the nazi party oh my god spell it spell it spell, yeah <laughs> it's, it's n-o-t dash s-e-e party yeah because and, yeah. yeah they basically go around like critiquing online viral videos mm. and it, it kind of goes from there. Okay. Yeah. The whole like purpose of their gotcha. whole journey that Wallace goes on has a lot to do with the whole point of the podcast. And sure. I, I just thought that that was really creatively done. And as a podcaster, I was a little bit like, I don't know, Brian, how did you feel about how they comment the commentary they made on the state of podcasting? Uh, I'm not sure I would have listened to the Nazi party if that <laughs> if I if it were an actual podcast. Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of cool because it validates the art form sure. now, um, and it it recognizes that this is becoming a thing. It's not really going away anywhere anytime soon, I should say. But uh, Wallace is kind of an ass, and I yeah. caught that from the first episode they were recording. Yeah. Um, so that made me feel very unsympathetic for it, and I also feel like, well, great, we're not all douchebags who think what we have to say is important, yeah. even though you do have to have a little bit of that to have the courage to do a podcast. Yeah. Um, I felt they came off as full of themselves and I didn't and I I just hope that doesn't cast a, a poor light on what other podcasters do. It's it's interesting because it's like self-deprecating but at the same time kind of self-validating because Kevin Smith is the one who did it. Mm-hmm. So kind of highlighting podcasting and saying this is an art form like this is a real thing yeah. um, and doesn't he play the podcast episode over the credits? Yes. Toward the end yeah. of it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He plays yeah. part of it over and, the end. And so it's kind of like 
yeah, we get the idea, but it makes it that much more of a gimmick mm-hmm. and actually to be taken less seriously, in my opinion. And granted, I have not seen the movie yet. It's too yeah. self-aware. It's too self-aware. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that, so that's me, but... Mm-hmm. Well, can I share what I saw? Yeah, please. So Dave and I uh, ended up going to see Gone with the Wind. Aww. One of the, one of the Fathom events, which is awesome because uh, the Sean's going to crucify me for this, but I had not seen it. Until that night when really? I Really? Get out. Dead serious, yeah. Really? Because it's a four-hour movie. You have to, like, go in there preparing yourself to go, okay. Yes. Oh, yeah, no, you're committed. Like, that's, like, you got to pack an overnight it, bag so. and, like, wear your pajamas. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, you gotta, yeah. I mean, we could do a whole episode on God of the Wind, and I'm sure we will. Dave mm. wants to we now, an and I'm sure we will. We on God of the Wind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But what I will, one. <laughs> what I will say Opening is, credits. in my, like, 30-second review of it, amazingly shot. Beautiful cinematography. Oh, my God. Uh, production value holds up 70 years, 75 years later. Um, and I think there's a reason why George Clooney exists because he is taking a hat from Clark Gable. Oh, Clark Gable yeah. was fantastic in that movie. Yeah. And I understand why it's easy to compare the two. Frankly, yeah. my dear, I don't give a damn. Yeah, Clark Gable was awesome. And I'm sorry, Scarlett is a bitch but that's that's all I'm gonna well say yeah no her her bit. character is ridiculous but like oddly compelling I think yeah. we, we already want to call when we ever read it we want to call it Scarlett O'Hara is a, is a cheap whore oh my hey. god <laughs> wow sad but true it's, she's, that's the she's thing she's manic she's manic she's that's Vivian Lee in a nutshell it's no? a it's a ter- tumultuous time and yeah yeah and, and that, <laughs> she's yeah. caught by the confines of society god <laughs> life is so hard for women in the 50s <laughs> 1850s yes sure sure <laughs> when, when, it was, wait, when was it filmed? It was filmed in 1939. Oh, yeah, 30s, but the okay. but the movie is set in like Civil the War 1800s. era. Yeah. Well, it goes antebellum yeah. all the way through. Yeah, Reconstruction. Yeah, Damn. golden um, age of cinema. But, yeah, yeah. Um, I saw. Uh, oh God, what did I see? Oh, this is where I leave you. <gasps> yeah, how was it? Yeah. It was. Um, it was okay. It was pretty good. Uh, definitely worth a watch. I wouldn't buy it. I wouldn't like own it. Um, mm-hmm. but. Probably great for Netflix. Mm. Um, really good character development. Fantastic acting by mm. everybody, of course. But what do you expect from, like, Tina Fey, Jason Bateman, Adam Driver was awesome. Oh, Corey his Stoll. His career is taking I off. I know, I know. Corey Stoll was really good, but Dude. very underused in the movie. I wish there was more mm. to his story than there actually was. Corey Stoll has, a, he has had a huge year. Yeah, huge. yeah, he really huge. has. Uh, Jane Fonda playing the mom. How was she? With the tiggle bitties. <laughs> <laughs> I was Which, gonna say. Yeah. I mean, it's the right. it's the gag of the movie. Um, yes. But she was really good, and there was a a nice um, twist to her story that kind of caught me off guard. But I really liked it. Um, mm. uh, Timothy Oliphant was in it, and he had a small part, but that was really crucial and very like really good. Mm. Um, Rose Byrne did a good job with the character that was written for her. <laughs> she she always plays like the bitch, right? She was, but she wasn't the bitch. No, 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 no. She um, and she, I mean, she was. She's been in other movies. She's really, she's really fantastic. Yeah. I like her a lot as an actress. Um, but her role was very much um, written to be a female to go along with Jason Bateman's character. Mm. And so, I mean, there wasn't really a whole lot to her. Damn. But then again, there wasn't really a whole lot to some of the other peripheral characters. Yeah. So, I mean, she she was a little cheapened, but yeah. Um, yeah. but. 
there's a lot of story happening in this movie. That being um, said, like Jason Bateman, was he kind of the focal point? Of he the was film? the focal point. Um, okay. Tina Fey was more secondary. Um, Adam Driver's kind of more third. Corey Stoll kind of got the the bottom rung as far as the sibling core siblings are concerned. Okay. Um, okay. But it was still it was still a very funny movie. Like it had a lot of really great laugh out loud moments yeah. and really a lot of really good sincere moments. Nice. Um, I just don't think it's going to be one of those like end all be all change your life kind of movies it's not gonna and also would you compare it to like a dramatic arrested development movie it really is yeah yeah i actually oh, okay. i'm glad you said that because uh yeah steve and i went to go see that movie and he was just like is this arrested development the movie right <laughs> and i was like I mean, kinda. it's another jason bateman in a dysfunctional family film. yes yes but <laughs> fair. but i feel like I mean, the humor is not not the same. Okay, but it's still really funny, and Tina Fey is just awesome. She looks fabulous, no? She, yeah, yeah, and uh, her and her acting is spectacular, and it. And she's just she just does a really good job of kind of playing a crucial core character for a lot of these characters. Like she kind of is a glue. Nice. Mm-hmm. So I love it when you have one actor who can really kind of keep everything together Mm -hmm. you know for a lot of when you have a huge cast and you have a huge you know array of characters i mean take take daniel radcliffe and harry potter i want to say his job his main role throughout all eight of the films was to really be the main i go i want to say through line Mm -hmm. you know it was always about harry well, he is playing Harry Potter. Exactly. That is that is the title yeah. of the series. And I want to say, in that regard, Daniel Radcliffe as an actor, I felt, was fairly successful at keeping it together. I mean, he grew up making the movies. Yeah. And to have to go from being a little kid to a young adult and growing up in front of, you know, audience members and having the responsibility of keeping such a huge character on his shoulders for so many formative years in his life. Sure. I mean, I can only imagine the kind of pressure it must it must be on a person. And still finding time to do a stage play where you show your dong. Oh my god, right? <laughs> Talk yeah. about sexual awakening. <laughs> yeah. well, he, I mean... he matured with the movies pretty, pretty much. So, yeah. exactly. And a horse. Yeah. <laughs> and a horse, indeed. Which is, that's a fucked up play too. I, I haven't yeah. seen it. But... I haven't seen it, but I, I read the play itself and there's, mm-hmm. there's just fascinating um... Uh, I'm trying to find the right word. Like the, I guess that what what goes through him mentally mm-hmm. and just the, how the upbringing affects him psychologically yeah. is incredibly interesting because the whole thing is, you know, he grew up under a very religious mother, mm-hmm. and then when this. I believe it's a photo or a picture of Jesus was taken out of his room and replaced with a horse. He basically continued the same sort of religious ritual just with this picture of the horse instead. So the horse became his god. Yeah. And which is, you know, kind of what springboards the whole rest of the plot of the the right. play. And that's yeah. what Equus is supposed to refer to. Yeah. 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 I, I saw it performed in San Jose a couple of years back with a buddy of mine who played the main character. And the transformation that the character undergoes, it, it's absolutely transformative. And <laughs> transformation, transformative transformation. Um, basically, the process was incredibly traumatic. Yeah. And <clears throat> the actor who portrayed the character... I want to say he probably felt traumatized at some points having mm. to go you know go that deep. So I can only imagine what Daniel Radcliffe had to experience being on such a large scale yeah. and again on such a huge under such a huge spotlight as Harry Potter gets naked, you know. Right. That was pretty much the tagline. So yeah. so did you see your friend's dick in the play? Uh 
It was a cold evening. <laughs> it, was, it was a chilly theater. Is this a friend that we know as well from the, from our theater days? Or? Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, he's a San Jose State alum. Got it. Yeah. Understood. So. <laughs> well, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome to Nerds on Film. I'm Brian Moriarty. I'm Sarah Ashley. I'm Roxy Noberry. And joining us, well, actually, Roxy, let's yeah, let you intro. In the studio tonight for round, shall we say, two or three, is my lovely friend Gina Giovanetti. Hi, I'm Yay. back. You may remember her from our previous episodes and we covered Lord of the Rings. And um, Gina, you were such a wonderful addition Oh, thank the you. Cave. Thank you so I much. Tried. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. While I was not there yeah. to partake, yeah. I did very much enjoy your expertise on. Oh, thank the films. you. That's You're very awesome. kind. Yeah. So, fun story about our subject tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you guys remember, uh, Brian was very busy. Yes, I was. was a busy little bit. Very, very busy mm-hmm. with theater. Mm-hmm. And um, while we were going to use Gina's expertise in Harry Potter last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian was unavailable, and he's such a huge Harry Potter fan. We couldn't do the episode with without him. That would yeah. just been so absolutely cruel of us. We're not that mean. Rude it. Uh, <laughs> Gina was cool enough to switch gears and just talk about something else that she knows a shit ton about. Clearly, <laughs> um, so we had to come back, give it a second go. Uh, with Harry Potter, and unfortunately, Sean is not here tonight. He is not; he himself is not a Harry Potter fan. Mm. Um, I myself am not a Harry Potter fan per se, but Ooh. so I'll be kind of representing that. But Sean is off doing beer things. So you, you are <laughs> oh. the opposition coalition. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm not opposed to Harry Potter. It's just something that never resonated with no, me. No, that's okay. Like so. it resonated with me as a kid because the time I paid like I didn't have a lot of friends in elementary school. I was picked on a lot. Mm. And so books kind of became my escape. And then I was able to gain the shittiest superpower ever, which is the ability to retain finite little details. <laughs> which I love, um, by the way. But <laughs> it's my favorite I, uh, thing about her. So like I was the kid that would sit in the corner of the playground and read Harry Potter. And so there were reasons that it resonated with me, but I understand it's not necessarily going to resonate with everyone either. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people go through different things as they grow up in life and different things resonate with you for different Mm -hmm. reasons. And I just happen to be in a place where it that did so with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that's an interesting point you bring up because you started reading Harry Potter in your childhood. Yeah. Right. I mean, we were kids when this series really came into fruition. The first book was published in 1997. Um, author J.K. Rowling, British, and it started <laughs> British. British. <laughs> the year is 1997. The author and British. I like, I like how like that's her qualifier. It's not that she's a Britain. No. J.K. Rowling, British. 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 <laughs> like that's her subtitle. Well, if you're, if you're. Yes. What is what is the background in that regard of what? I always hear this one lovely story of the moment that she wrote. Harry Potter. She was sitting in a cafe somewhere. She was on a train. She was on a train. Oh, okay. um, yeah. The idea came, she was thinking about it, but there was a train that she was on that was mm. stalled. And that was when she really started to formulate all of her ideas. And at that point, she also had nothing to write with. So she had to keep all of these ideas in her head. And then once she got home and was able to access paper and pen, she was able to start to write. The whole story with the cafe is when she was a single parent living on her own, Mm -hmm. she would go and she would take her baby daughter for walks. And then once her daughter would fall asleep, she would go to the cafe and she would sit in the cafe and write. By that time, she had already had three chapters of what would 
eventually become Harry Potter and the Philosophers or Sorcerer's Stone mm-hmm. um, written, and then it was her expanding upon it. Also, the story that she would write on the cafe napkins mm-hmm. is a complete myth. She was on welfare, but she was not to a point of poverty that she had to resort to writing on napkins. No. She did write in a notebook and on lined <laughs> paper. People like to kind of romanticize her poverty right. um, mm. and show in her kind of rags to riches story, which in yeah. essence it still is. Yeah. They just like to romanticize sure. how far into poverty she well, was. that's the comparison. Know that her struggle was, was Harry struggle and a lot of what Harry persevered through what I would want to imagine was cathartic. I would say more or less that her her situation was more communicated through the Weasleys, right? Yeah. The, the large family that was always because Harry really was her ideal, right? He yeah. had had he was a kid who discovered his magical heritage who also found that his parents were freaking rich in the in the, in wizard the wizarding world at least. Right. right. So you know her yeah. her uh, relation to Harry is more his uh, connection to the idea of loss. Her right. mother died when she was a teenager of multiple sclerosis, which is why a lot of charitable foundations that J.K. Rowling donates to are multiple sclerosis foundations. Mm. Um, her mother died when, like I said, her mother died when she was a teenager, and or no. Her mother died, not when she was a teenager. Her mother was sick while she was a teenager, but Mm -hmm. her mother had died when she had just started writing Harry Potter, Mm -hmm. and she felt awful that she had never told her mother about this amazing thing that she was going to start to publish and start to write and how excited it was. And, you know, she, she is just so upset that her mother never got to live to see what her daughter had become and this mm-hmm. amazing empire that she was able to build. And so these three chapters of Harry Potter that she had initially um, before she she moved back home and everything, that was something that her mother never knew about. Mm. And uh, Harry's loss of his parents especially was something that she went back and further elaborated upon because she was able to feel that loss, uh, especially of a parent, even more so. Wow. Right. Wow. What fascinates me, too, is that of all the writing of any of the novels she did, she spent the most time on the first chapter of the first book. God. Yeah, she rewrote it, I think, what, like seven times or something? Like well, that? I, everything is seven, so I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt <laughs> yeah. that it was seven It may times. actually have been 17 or something. Like, she went through an, an, an absurd number of rewrites of it because there were some points where she felt like she wanted to set up what she knew was going to be this massively long epic, mm-hmm. and she felt like there was some drafts where it gave away almost everything mm, too right. soon. Interesting. Uh, I mean, you know, you do see some interesting things there. You hear about Sirius Black in the yeah. first chapter of the first book, and it's not even a thought in your head until you get to Prisoner of Azkaban, oh, for great. example. That's something um, that I love about that. There's these little things buried so absolutely. far back in the text that suddenly you're just like, oh my god, it was that thing. Right. And, and it's so good. Absolutely. And the flying motorcycle, like, that, what a hell of a callback to have that doesn't come full circle again until really the seventh book. Well, because right? it's it's fantastic because she uses Hagrid as sort of this gatekeeper character where right. Hagrid was the first one on this motorcycle to bring him into this particular world and then in on that flying motorcycle in the seventh installment, he's being taken back out of that muggle world. And then right. the same thing is when... Um, you know, you think Harry's dead in the seventh movie. You see Hagrid cradling his body as well. That's another recall back where Hagrid was the first to really take him into this wizarding world to Diagon Alley, to the Leaky Cauldron, that Hagrid was then the one, you know, pulling him back 
out of it as right. well. And the one of the things they don't talk about in the movie is that Hagrid, I believe, was the one who actually had to collect Harry from the Potter's house after what had happened with uh, with Voldemort. I think so. I yeah. think it was. I think it may have been. It may have been several Dumbledore? of them. I think it was Dumbledore that collected him. Okay. And then you know he was then kind of passed off to Hagrid because I think at one point there is. A no, never mind. I was gonna, I was gonna say something about. It. I thought there was going to be some sort of discussion with um, Sirius Black and and Dumbledore, but it's at that point where they still think Sirius Black was the one who betrayed them. So that's that's a complete a mind mind fart. So right, right. Anyway, yeah. either way, you still get the relationship between Hagrid and Harry as something that's yeah. you know paternal, and it's 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 a loving relationship from beginning to end. For and sure. And I want to say that what I really love about the films how they honor the books in the sense that the castings were very true to form. Although, I, I saw this really interesting cartoon where they compared the um, the actors to the... So, the actors to the characters. Yeah. And it's like, book Harry versus movie Harry, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, book Harry... The, the, the funny, the cartoon vision of him is like scared. There's a scar. There's wild, messy hair. And he's you know skinny, scrawny, awkward, angsty, whatever. Movie Harry, you know, scary and shiny, straight hair, kind of a nuggety in physique. I would, I would say the only real discrepancy <laughs> between book and movie Harry was his hair because there's yeah. this whole thing about how messy Harry's hair always is, mm. and it's not particularly messy, at least in movies one and two i know movies three and four they it was pretty messy i mean four was the four was the movie <laughs> okay. where nobody got haircuts four like, was the awkward puberty episode. it's true <laughs> and it's funny too because i remember reading in the fourth book and they, they kept alluding to it for all the first three books too of how um how unkept hermione's hair is supposed to be too oh my god mm-hmm. and then the thing that like the first time you imply that ron and might have a thing yeah. for Hermione is when they go to the Yule Ball. And she has it all straightened. She has it all straightened and quaffed and everything. Uh, Oh, snap. Okay, well, I guess my original point is being that, I don't know, I felt like they kept pretty true overall in in character uh, motivations, in in the spirit of the character. I agree. I I feel like that they're, even though they, I think they made more changes than omissions uh, as they got later on in the series, Mm -hmm. but the changes they made were minor enough for as like, you're, it's okay. Yeah, exactly. You're not changing yeah. the entire outcome of the story, which yeah. is what Warner Brothers originally wanted to do, by the way, right? when I they think, got the rights from Rowling. Really? I think one of the things that really helped keep the heart of the film was their insistence on an all-British cast. Uh-huh. All-British um, cast, at yeah. least, I mean, at least all UK cast, you look at it, some of the actors and actresses are Scottish or Irish, but it's at least of that general area. Yeah. And, I mean, there. I remember there being... You know, jokes when Chris Columbus picked up Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone, depending on where you're from, Mm -hmm. that, you know, oh, it's like, you know, Macaulay Culkin as Harry Potter. And it's just like, no, 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 no. You need to take a step back. And I think that that insistence on the all British cast really helped retain the heart of the series about how it's this very British thing. And especially the idea of boarding school as well. Mm. Like, that's not something that we see as much, I guess, in America. Yeah. Boarding school is a very European thing. Yeah, surely, surely. very much so, yeah. And yeah. there's a little bit on the on the Northeast, I would say. Yeah, yeah, there is. I think I've... I remember reading a lot of books when I was kind of in that, like, elementary school, junior high era, that middle, that middle range literature. Um, yeah. 
I, I read a lot of stuff about kids going off to boarding school, you know, their mm-hmm. parents shipping them off and all, you know, all that stuff, right? Yeah, right. Um, and I think one thing was interesting because I tried to read the first Harry Potter book. And one thing that I think lost me is that it just felt to me at the time like very typical children's Brit lit. Like mm. it didn't there was nothing that seemed super special about it to me, mm-hmm. like as far as the writing was concerned. Yeah. And therefore I didn't even really give the story a chance. Mm-hmm. And and this is not the first time where the idea of a magical boarding school had been done either. I mean, there was a member a British series called The Worst Witch, mm-hmm. which was effectively a very I wouldn't say it's a copycat at all, because to be honest, I haven't even fully seen the show. But it has a very similar idea that it's a magical boarding school where, but mostly it's girls though who are going to learn learn oh magic. Oh my god! I remember watching that show in Canada you know when I was I'm a kid. About? Yeah. Yes. Oh my god! There were broomsticks and castles Aww. and little British girls. It was the cutest thing. It was a drama, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, so, it was the female Harry Potter, pretty much. Oh, essentially, yeah. yeah. So you bring that up, and all I I. I didn't have the exposure to like the cute little girls boarding school. It's just like I think of girls school witches. I immediately think of the craft. Oh, okay. oh. Yeah. oh. <laughs> the craft was the shit Robin though. Judy. I love that movie. It was a bulk. I really, I really <laughs> yeah, I love, love the movie. craft. There's a picture when I had my hair cut that short is. where it's like it kind of looks like Nancy's hair in the craft, and I'm just like, yes, I can destroy everyone. <laughs> Worshiping Melo. Um, <laughs> exactly. Um, it's Manaw. Thank oh, you. Manaw. Merlot was a nice fine wine, Brian. No, not Merlot. I thought it was Melo. I thought that <laughs> no, was No, no, Manaw. Manaw. Oh. oh, sorry. Sorry, guys. <laughs> anyway. This is a Harry Potter episode, not a Robin Tooney film. It was the 1990s episode. <laughs> I want to bring this up, though. Can we all agree that J.K. Rowling's inspiration for Snape was pretty much Alan Rickman from the start? Well, I mean, it, that wasn't necessarily her inspiration, but it, Alan Rickman just hits. Alan Rickman, he is just hits perfect. the character of Snape so. Beautiful. Alan Rickman Why, is you perfect. It's amazing. Anybody else being Snape? Honestly, at this point, no, no. Though the one thing that's really interesting is that maybe this is just Grand Prix's, um illustrations of him, mm-hmm. but every illustrated version I've seen of Snape, he always has a goatee. Huh. Yeah, he does have the goatee. I remember that. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So he has almost a kind of a Jafar kind of look. Yeah, in the, uh, I, I do in remember the books. that. But yet, mm. Rickman takes a whole other look to take with it, and yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, that's I think yeah, yeah. I think the you know the omission of the goatee is an inter- there's little like things that are not necessarily canonically mentioned in the books that sure. were then added to the characters to make them look a certain way. One of the examples is Jason Isaacs as Lucius Malfoy. Things like, you know, his sweet-ass pimp cane with the (laughs) wand in it, the long blonde wig, those were very much Isaacs' own ideas on what the character should look like. This very kind of well-kept, almost (laughs) foppy-looking wizard with the long hair, like very well-kept, very opulent is the word I'm looking for. And one of the things, I guess, in Wardrobe, he asked if he could have a cane, and Wardrobe got really confused concerned and they asked him you know do you do you need a cane is that something that you need to be able to walk and he's yeah. like no no i just i just really yeah. want a badass cane. I and just I, want a cane and what's awesome is the fact that they make the cane also the holder for the, the wand. wand it's like a sword cane well so that's Dude. actually something that you know that that calls back to british aristocracy victorian yeah. era right where it was Definitely. not uncommon for men to have walking sticks that doubled as swords or guns right and it's it's matter. it's shady too because yeah. he can just whip that out whenever but right. whereas you know wands are not necessarily a concealed weapon and he's kind of cowardly hiding it until he feels the need 
need to, you know, curse someone with it, which really drives home the kind of character that Lucius yeah. Malfoy is. Mm. Right, agreed. Well, so let's talk a little bit about then how the books, because you're talking about, we talk about how the first three got published in the late 90s to the early 2000s, yep, right? Yeah, yep, yeah. 1997, um, 1998, 1999. Yeah, yeah, Sorcerer's Stone actually, I don't think, was released in America until 1998. Um, right. That was when Scholastic pick up, picked up the rights for it. And they and changed then, the title because they didn't think kids would get the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah, one of the things that I saw as a kid reading the books, too, was this retention of the overall Britishness of the the slang as well, or the, the language. Um, words like sneakers that then became trainers in the first couple publications of the book. Uh, the kids call Mrs. Weasley mom, whereas she becomes mum in the other ones. Right. Um, they, as people began to understand the overall kind of British terminology, more and more of it was phased back into the American publications as well. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so what ends up happening is the success of the books gets Warner Brothers interested. And so they, they choose to take the option, I think, around the time Goblet of Fire comes out, which was, I think, 2000, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe maybe, maybe even mm, late 99, looks, actually. That sounds generally accurate. Goblet of Fire was in 2000. Yeah. 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 So they, they get the, they basically get the rights to the first four, and they have the option for the other three. Really? Because the other three hadn't been written yet, and Warner Bros. is like, well, we don't know if this is going to be a success, so let's just kind of keep our options open. We don't know. Exactly. But here's what? what's even more, here's what's more screwed up. And this is typical... What's going to make the most money? Yeah. This is typical studio heads having conversations that, and not writers having conversations. Exactly. They wanted to make Harry Potter American. Mm. They wanted to forget. They wanted to get the rights from the books, mm. but not actually adapt each book. They wanted to take elements from the books. And, and make new stories? Craft a story that oh, was uh, an amalgam of like like the first few books in like, one movie. Awful, because then you Great. would have ended up with something like a series of unfortunate events, which was god awful. Right, oh, which is disappointing. Super. Really was. This is super important because when Christopher Columbus was signed on, he flat out said, "Okay, first of all, if we're going to do this, we need two things. One, we need to make sure we keep the books intact. Mm -hmm. Two, they're all British. And then finally, J.K. Rowling. I think even Jake. This is one of the conditions too. Is that she said." She's got to be a creative consultant. She has to have the final say. She was. Oh, yeah. There were there were certain things that she really did not want to happen. Like she didn't want the story to completely sell out at that point either. Like she didn't want things like McDonald's toys of the characters and <laughs> right. stuff. And so that was that was a big thing in getting the the rights from her and you know having her agree to having it being made a certain way as well. Agreed. And so and and that stuck true for all of the seven slash eight movies that she was the final say on things that like were being developed on set that she could counteract and <sighs> they had to change it she had a conversation with the director the director told so and so That's and awesome. mm -hmm. it changed there so she couldn't so they couldn't do merchandising through mcdonald's but they could through hot topic <laughs> yeah i guess i think i think that's a lot of something that has changed over yeah. the years as you know that <laughs> right. there's more and more things that they can completely just slap the harry like, potter name on you got your house like scarves and you got your yeah. wands you got their wands yeah. the ren fair i mean come on now. well no that's just pretty much any Anybody with the, oh God, was it the lathe where they're just like, yeah. I'm just going to make chess pieces in Harry Potter wands. I can't, yeah. remember, <laughs> I can't remember. There was a website in the early 2000s and it was, it had the same kind of names that you would see in Diagon Alley. It wasn't yeah. like the Leaky Cauldron or the Prancing Pony, but it had a similar kind of sound to it. Huh. And it was a place where you could go and get custom made, authentic, quote unquote, 
Harry Potter ones that were all the same woods and designs that they claimed the books would have. Wow. And you could also get your um, your robes there, too, if you wanted to have oh your school robes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that website still exists. I forget what it's called, but yeah, they but it's not they have the character ones, but then there's also ones that you can customize and there's right. other fancy ones. I and... just remember being at the Renaissance Fair and theirs is a, a booth there where yeah. Yeah, this guy made wands, right? He even went as far as to include little like accoutrements that you could put into the wand. Those are and, great. Like one of them is like a dragon feather and, and like a two. phoenix feather. Dragon dragon hearts. Dragon heart strings. Whatever. Either way, he like went out so of his cute. way to include like you could put little like charms. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I will not allow incorrect wand lore. It is dragon heart strings, <laughs> unicorn hair. Phoenix feather. Thank you. All and right. What was the? There was something that was different about the uh, elder wand. It was Fleur, the. Uh, no, uh, it's the the phoenix feather. Flores, yeah, yeah. And, and then the, Flores had the Vila hair in it because it was one of her grandmas. Right. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So the guy even made a little like <laughs> dragon thing. It yeah. Was like, oh shit! Oh, oh, phoenix feather. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is a phoenix feather. He's like, yes, believe <laughs> Just it. Play along. Play along, <laughs> dude. Well, on this, and I go to a lot of festivals. There's yeah. always somebody selling those wands right? and they're always freaking mobbed with children. Yes. Right, of course. <laughs> yeah. Your bright pink leopard print one. There you go. <laughs> For a wand? Yeah, man. Wow, okay. They do all sorts of shit. Interesting. <laughs> that booth also had the cleavage wands, which was <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I do. G- getting back to the films being adapted, I think it was very interesting that they chose Christopher Columbus because he... Uh, because he had done the Page Master, if I'm not mistaken, about I love the Page Master. was good. The Page Master. Yes, I, I, owns it. I awakened you and Tanya to the Page Master, mm, right. which was amazing. That, I read the night. shit out of that book. Yes. It was kid. so good. Yeah. So awesome. And it just like it, quintessential '90s. The more you think about it, yeah. you, you look at the Page Master, you're like, oh, that kind of looks like Dumbledore. Um, <laughs> yeah. But just like that sense of, I think they got him because he understands how to capture whimsy mm-hmm. really well. And I think if you would talk about anything with those first two films the whimsical element of the wizarding oh, world is yes. amazing. It's, it's just very magical. Like, you know, something that had been imagined for so long in the hearts and minds of so many kids who held the series so near and dear to their heart, being able to look and see that wall open to Diagon Alley for the first time mm-hmm. sure. or seeing yeah. the, the rowboats going to the castle for the first time was just so amazingly magical. Like, I remember being in the sixth grade and sitting in the theater and just watching it and just being like in such awe of what was before me because so much of it was also exactly how I'd imagined as well which was amazing absolutely yeah and I think like and of course like what adds to that just thinking of that one scene when they go across the boats for the first time uh, is John Williams' score. Like, John oh, Williams' so score. Good. And I think one of the one of the things is, it's really interesting, because if you look at the score for Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets, it's the same music that's just been reworked and placed in different spots. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what... Not one of my favorite adaptations, but Prisoner of Azkaban, I loved the soundtrack for most because that was when John Williams really took that sort of darker turn with the music as well. And you still had that bit of Hedwig's theme whimsy, but he started to bring in things like the harpsichord or the dulcimer, especially in there's the scene where they're in the Shrieking Shack and... um, when in the scenes with Wormtail, Peter Pettigrew especially, there's this little kind of like sneaky harp sound or like right. harpsichord sound Absolutely, that plays, yeah. which I love. And then it's so unfortunate that he couldn't come back and do all of the other ones as well because you had John Williams for 
the first three, and then... Uh, I think he was the first and the third, because they had someone else borrow the, a lot of his stuff. Yeah, I think it was someone someone with the last name of Ross uh, just reworked. So, I mean, it's still all technically John Williams's music, right, but it right. was just reworked for different scenes. So, I mean, I would still say two is John Williams. Fair and enough. then I think you had uh, Patrick Doyle for four... Nicholas Hooper for five, and then Alexandra Desplat for uh, six, and both of seven. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which what is which is interesting. Legacy of directors, though. Huh? Yeah. yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, because those were those were just the composers. Like the the directors were you know Chris Columbus for the first two, and then. Um, Alfonso Cuarón. Alfonso Cuarón. Cuarón. Was amazing. Prisoner of Azkaban was terrifying. There were, yeah. um, there were, there were issues I had with Prisoner of Azkaban when it came out. I think just because mm-hmm. it was so vastly different from this very whimsical environment yeah. that Columbus had set up, and I understand the overall darkening of mm-hmm. the tone. There mm-hmm. were just certain artistic choices that Cuarón made that I, as a viewer, did not enjoy. And mm-hmm. I think Prisoner of Azkaban is one of the movies in the series that you either really like mm-hmm. or really dislike right mm-hmm. i remember seeing it for the first time and being somewhat disappointed in it mm-hmm. but as i've gotten older like i go back and it's it's not as bad as i thought it was mm-hmm. it was just such a shock from what columbus had set so up. the transition Agreed. was fairly sharp well the yeah. big one was like when they were not in their wizarding robes yeah they had very like almost they, they had very unfashionable clothing but they it still kind of I mean, made it, sense it wasn't it wasn't necessarily unfashionable i mean it just looked like what kids would wear the one issue mm. i had was not necessarily with quran it was with whoever was doing the script treatment for that one in the scene where they they've taken harry and hermione have taken the time turner back and they're outside hagrid's hut and they see the three past versions of themselves in there and it's right before hermione throws the stone into the hut to break the milk pitcher or whatever and she's looking through the window and before she throws the stone she has this line where she says is that really what my hair looks like from the back and that's such a horrible unhermione-esque line i didn't see the need why it had to be in there and yes i understand hermione is a girl that has girly thoughts like you know everyone else but in that moment that's not something that that character would be focused on well i I remember reading an article about how quaron was going to shake things up when it was coming out and he wanted to emphasize that this is the first story where we acknowledge that they are teenagers right now right and it really kind of makes it more of a turn to that in the fourth movie but mm. like the thing like they said that like they were not going to be spending most of their time in their robes and i thought oh my god is that, is that even what the books are like and i remember feeling yeah. very uneasy about it and then realizing that actually no it the things they did yeah they made <laughs> some concessions here and there with the characters but yet they they kind of made them more i think connectable to a teenage audience. Yeah, I could I could see that. Um, mm. One of the other things I disliked was the the shrunken head in the night bus. Oh god, that was yeah, something that I was really disturbing. I really didn't like. Um, <laughs> <coughs> yeah, that Sorry. was a little weird. That was yeah. definitely a little weird. Because the the thing is, I liked the the characters of Stan Shunpike and Ernie Prang were very rich in the book. Especially Stan Shunpike is this kind of very 
awkward, almost like college dropout kind of character working on the bus with, you know, the very prominent acne and the the prominent Cockney accent. They were such rich characters in the book. And to have that, that scene was done very quickly. And I think just to show the quickness of it was this weird little shrunken head. But I, I was not a fan of that either. Mm. So who were the other directors aside from the two you've already named? So, so it was Chris Columbus got... for the first two. And then it was Alfonso Cuaron for three. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike, Newell. Mike Newell for four. He's directed uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral, mm-hmm. most notably. Um and David, David Yates. Yates. David Yates. Four, five through eight. Yeah. 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 And then there's a whole slew of producers, but the main writers were Steve Cloves for one through four and then six through eight. And interestingly enough, Michael Goldenberg only wrote the fifth film. Hmm. And I'm interested to hear like why you think he was only chosen for that project. That's, and that's an interesting one, ones. too, because the fifth film is the shortest of all the, yeah. the movies. Yeah. Um, and it's also the one that I think some people have the most contention with too well because the thing is the the fifth film is the longest book and a lot of that is because there's a lot of side plots going on as well there's the main storyline of umbridge at hogwarts and the prophecy and you know if you read if you read the book there's um you know more that one i think was jk rowling's moment of cement of cementing this is when they're teenagers because it's Mm -hmm. you know that's what quran tried to do with the third movie but it's what rowling tried to do with the fifth book you see more of them in that onset of like awkwardly trying to get relationships and um, uh, the, you know, the it's, famous kiss with Cho Chang. And, oh, oh God! And Harry was such a kind of a dick to her. Which is so <laughs> unfortunate. Right. Um, and then uh, there, the whole plot line of Ron playing Quidditch was scrapped for the movie, and then that was placed in the sixth film instead. Mm. The whole like Ron trying to get onto the Quidditch team—that's that's a plot line in the fifth right. book. And of course, the famous like the Weasleys are king bit. Like that was a great yeah. plot line that like. Yeah. That yeah, that was something that was completely cut out. Yeah. Um, in addition, I think Fred and George's kind of escape from Hogwarts was severely underplayed as well. For sure. Part of that is because throughout all the films, one of the elements that was cut out was the character of Peeves the Poltergeist. And yeah. Peeves is, so the Hogwarts plays uh, host to several ghosts. And there's these house ghosts that are assigned to each of the different houses, but then there's also other random ones. And then Peeves is this little poltergeist that lives in the castle and likes to cause mischief all over and he's a character that was ultimately cut from the films because it was someone that Chris Columbus wanted to be able to have in there but they could never they didn't quite have the technology to be able to do it right and then it was something where with the the way that the script was it was very hard to kind of put him in there as right. well they had they did have someone cast and did voiceover work for him and everything it's just an element that was ultimately cut from the film sure which Throughout the story, Peeves doesn't necessarily contribute much except to be kind of comic relief, and he's almost a deus ex machina in many situations as well. Like, oh, Harry and Ron are stuck in Filch's office, a vase crashes over in this corner of the castle, and Filch has to leave to go get it. Peeves is very much that deus ex machina figure that can be used to get them out of sticky situations. Sure. Um, Yeah. I mean, other ghosts, too. Like, they underuse Nearly Headless Nicholas past the second movie. Right. And I remember that when Harry, like in the fifth book, in Order of the Phoenix, when Harry is dealing with Sirius's death, he re- he turns to Nearly Headless Nick because he thought maybe is there a chance that Sirius will come back as a ghost? And he has to right. kind of explain 
what it really means to be a ghost in that world that you actually have to kind of decide whether you want to continue on or not. And he, like, the whole story about him regretting uh, sticking around uh, right. and not moving on. Uh, and also, like, the Bloody Baron. Like, you see him in the first movie for two seconds mm-hmm. and you never hear him again and there's a whole right. plot line in the yeah the, the the plot line with the gray lady from ravenclaw and even in the books the gray lady's story is not particularly touched upon until book seven but you hear a lot more about the bloody baron and how creepy he is and how he's right. got these silver blood stains on him even as a ghost Jeez. and how ridiculous it is um that's definitely something that is underplayed in the films yeah oh. definitely Definitely. And and so those elements certainly add richness to the books, but that also makes it challenging to to adapt when you're doing a movie because a movie is all about trying to get it. I think when you're talking about storytelling between film and, and novels, you have to try to hone the story down to what's the central yeah, plot line. Right. Whereas in a novel, you can have five plot lines going on and that's okay because you have this rich. extra rich space that you can play with. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So those were, those were unfortunate concessions that had to be made to get the story... To right. a book, a movie that was under three hours, many, or just under three hours. Many right? of the many <laughs> of the concessions that were made had to do with these sort of, um, you know, third tier characters, things like ghosts and creatures and other inhabitants of the castle or certain professors even there's a character named professor bins who is initially the one he's the history of magic teacher and the story with him is he's the only professor who is also a ghost because he's made out to be this incredibly boring teacher and the story about him is he died in his sleep in his armchair in front of the fire in the teacher's lounge and then when it was time to go teach class he basically just got up and went to go teach class in ghost form not realizing he was dead because right. he's this such a boring individual yeah, he and... had fallen yeah he had fallen asleep <laughs> close to the so fire and i think sad. the fire actually consumed him wasn't it or no he like no he was just old and he died in front of the fire in his sleep in a very boring way yeah. oh um and then he's actually the one who tells the class about the chamber of secrets whereas those were lines that were then given into McGonagall in the film, which Maggie Smith is McGonagall. I love. And that's going to put Maggie that out Smith, there. Period. Yes, Seriously? she can do no wrong as she, far as I'm concerned. She, I think it was during the shooting of the fifth film. She was actually going through chemo while they were filming. <gasps> was she really? She was going through chemo while they were filming the fifth movie, and so there would be points where, like in between takes, she would be having to sit down or be in a wheelchair. And there's actually, I think it's it's the fifth one or it's a different film where there's a great picture of Maggie Smith. Smith sitting down in a chair and Daniel Radcliffe is holding an umbrella over her because it was a day he didn't actually have to be on set oh, to yeah. shoot. He just wanted to hang out there and he's like, cool, I'm going to hold Maggie's umbrella. I, I swear to God, she is like... She's amazing. If She's you're, if you're not... Abbey. Exactly. If you're not into British period dramas, <laughs> you still have to watch Downton Abbey just for Maggie Smith. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's yeah. so snarky. So good. Yeah. Well, and the, the best and I, I watched um I watched The Secret Garden endlessly oh, as a child. Oh, she was great. The Secret Garden. Matlock. Her is Mrs. Matlock playing a character that is so vastly different from Professor McGonagall. Is it's so interesting to see that transformation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was also interesting too because making McGonagall Scottish 
Was I mean yes, obviously the name McGonagall, right? You would think, but it was never fully outright said. I think it was. She... I think it was implied because there's a uh, one of the Christmas scenes in one of the books. It talks about how she, her hat, she has like a tartan band on it. So right. I think it's implied that she's Scottish, mm. right? Or at least has some sort of Scottish root. Obviously, with her name being what it is. Yeah, sure, mm-hmm. sure. The thing that um, go ahead. No, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing I and I know we're jumping around all the books here. Um, <laughs> it's okay. The thing I thought was really important to mention, too, is we have to talk about why Dumbledore was changed in the third movie, too, right? Because right? Richard Harris had been dealing with, speaking of cancer, Richard Harris had been dealing with lymphoma, and unfortunately, he passed away, I think, he, he as it was, he was already in poor health when they shot the second movie, and right. they had to... I think they even had to have someone do his some of his yeah. I think uh, ADR. He, he passed away, I believe, in post production of Chamber of Secrets. Oh. And the thing is, his his story of why he be, he took this role of Dumbledore is the sweetest. He he was at a family gathering and he mentioned that he was up for this role and had been offered it. And it was one of his granddaughters that told him, "Grandpa, if you do not if you don't play Dumbledore, I don't know if I can ever talk to you again." The eleven year old granddaughter threatened, and him. he's like, "Well, I I, I couldn't live with that." So I had to take this role. And Richard Harris was just such a wonderful, understanding Dumbledore. And I've had so many people come up to me and they're like, no, but Ian McKellen was totally Dumbledore in one of those films. And it's like, no, he was busy filming Lord of the Rings. Don't don't tell me Ian McKellen was fair, ever Dumbledore Ian because McKellen you're was, wrong. Ian McKellen was offered Dumbledore and I think he turned it down in lieu of playing Gandalf. I think he I think he turned it down also after Richard Harris had passed on because the two those two actors did not particularly get along either. Yeah. And he was like well i think it would be an insult to richard harris were i to fill his shoes and then right and then um you know he he was ian mckellen was also just like well i'm already playing one legendary wizard exactly. i don't need to play another one <laughs> exactly. yeah i know he and can't have, been a like, cop out he can't really have a monopoly have. on wizards <laughs> no he cannot <laughs> i am been... all of the wizards yeah. wizard supreme yeah. no yeah. the wizards he's um, the supreme sarah <laughs> So I think we should go ahead and put a pause on it here, yeah. um, and we will save the rest for part two, because of course, Woo! with that many Fantastic. movies and books, you cannot get it all done in one. So yes. um, You can look have... forward to in the next episode, me giving Gina, our resident Harry Potter expert, quite a quiz. I look Indeed. forward to it. Quite Challenge that brain. Challenge accepted. <laughs> and we're going to do out because we haven't even gotten into like, the whole, we're going to do a wand duel thing, because <laughs> I want to test Gina's knowledge of charms. And Whip out your wand. I can't. Uh, I can I can school you. I'm ready for it. Do we think it's like a part right. thing in real time? Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, do we have any listener feedback to get to? Listener feedback. Yeah. Oh, we've, yes, we do. We do. We've got lots of email mm-hmm. feedback to get to. Yeah, the first one we've got is from Austin. Subject, the cross where your faith is really tested. <laughs> Message. So true. Says, hello, nerds. Hope all is well. I've been a listener for a bit over a year, and I love both podcasts. Just wanted to say when I hear, when I heard the rosary joke about the mm-hmm. anal beads, I nearly died of laughter. Got several looks from coworkers. It took several minutes to regain my composure. Keep up the great work and hope to donate to the Hot Pocket Fund soon. And to follow with that um our dear friend billy of uh, girls with issues podcast billy bones tweeted at us saying a random old dude decided to get all religious rant on the train so i put on the anatomy because big sean mo will counteract perfectly and that's a reference <laughs> obviously to sean's anal you know it's rosary. a reference to anything that sean anything says that sean is what that is. is true that true yeah. that yeah 
<laughs> whenever we think of see i think of the rosary and i also think back that we established that bigfoot was catholic oh god because it was like oh that would be great like someone found yeah. we were, i can't remember the reference but it was on nerds in history and it was a uh it was a rosary and like dave even said oh yeah so the sasquatch was in the middle of a hail mary and then uh <laughs> and then had to make a run nice. for it because people were coming. yeah exactly <laughs> there we go nice. and then vicky also re- responded to another joke that sean had made about how um people are like it was about our sequels episode where we made a joke about i like, made that joke the 30s dj yes the i i told DJ. them oh, that i joke, sorry yeah i know yeah. sean and dave were being like super creepy and i was like you guys are like the 30 year old djs at a junior high dance <laughs> <laughs> yes best burn ever that's true <laughs> oh man so what about and then there's another one um did brian did you want to read joe's feedback absolutely uh joe's was for loader part one <laughs> loader why not? <laughs> it, it makes a word, so let's just use the word. That's dirty. Loader. Yeah, loader. <laughs> I got a loader for you. Um, Ow! Um, it sounds like you have to poop. I got a load of poo. <laughs> I had a burrito for lunch, guys. I'm sorry. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. kidding. Uh, he says, hey, nerds, love the decision to do a loader two-parter. Uh, shut up. A loader two-parter! <laughs> Oh, it's always as good as the sequels three joke. (laughs) (laughs) Thought I'd share a personal nerd slash local history fact with you. My granddad grew up in Oxford and used to go to the same church as Tolkien. Uh, And there's a pretty cool photo of my granddad as a boy shaking hands with him. You can also go to the pub called The Eagle and Child, where Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, and other writers of the time used to regularly meet in what they called the Inklings Writers Group. Nice. I'm glad. Thank you for giving us the name, because I know we talked about the Writers that's Group awesome. on the episode, yeah. but left out the name. That's awesome. Right. But he continues to say, I know that's not terribly interesting. Um, what are you but talking I like about? That's fascinating. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. So, <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Clearly, yeah. Joe, you were just being humble. Um, mm-hmm. He continues to say, but I like the way it demonstrates that history slash movie history uh, is on everybody's doorstep. Keep the content and inspiration coming, team. Joe B. from Portsmouth, England. Truly. Now, we have another listener in Portsmouth. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, you guys Stevie. should hook up. I want to know, Are you? do you know this Stevie? Ooh. Were you referred because of this man that we know of? If not, oh hey, God. Stevie... Joe. Get connected. Oh my, god, oh, my god, oh, my god, oh, my god, oh, my god. A Portsmouth Nerdonomy Con. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> two, two people just talking about how much they love the podcast. <laughs> It'll be the first somewhere. Nerdonomy Con ever. <laughs> oh, my God, we could go. We should do this. <gasps> Wait, can, uh, I, can I go with you just yes. for funsies? Yeah, yes. can, we just, can we just go to England? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll rally up all of our Bay Area fans, all five of them, and then we'll get, and then, oh, then we'll get out of <laughs> And we got, got on a plane to, to oh, England. I'm just going to hide in one of your suitcases, and it's just like, surprise, guest host! <laughs> yeah, you have I to give you a little rebreather so you can yeah. not... Yes. Not It'll be like a Darth Vader mask. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Awesome. Anyway, Joe, thanks for the feedback. That is awesome. Thank you, everybody. And thank you for exactly. inspiring me with the word loader. Um, <laughs> You're done good. <laughs> loader hey, part hey. two. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Is that what we're, we're going to do? Yeah, yeah, that's what cool. we're doing for today. Mm-hmm. And you know what, folks? Thank you, as always, for the feedback. Keep it coming. You can do that by going to our Facebook and our Twitter uh, at Nerdonomy, or of course, going to nerdonomy.com and clicking on the Talk to Us link at the top. Hey, Sarah. Yes. Tell us. Yeah. What else can you do when you go to nerdonomy.com? Uh, you can click things. Oh yeah. You can click them hard. Click around. Oh. Click, click around so just a little bit. Just play. Just around. Uh, fast. No, you can also go to um, our merchandise corner. You can go um, check out some T-shirts. Maybe buy a couple. Mm. Uh, there's some pretty good ones. Uh, you can also look for our affiliate links. You can go click the banner for audible.com, or you can just go to audibletrial. Dot. Uh, wait. Audible. 
audibletrial.com slash nerdonomy. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And you can also uh, click any links for Amazon that you happen to see around there um, if you're looking at doing some purchasing. um, And we will get a little slice of the cut. So anything to uh, help us just keep doing what we're doing here. Indeed. Uh, It's because of you guys that we are self-sustaining now. Yep. You know, and, you know, hey, we're not making a living at this yet, but that's... That's pretty awesome, I think. So thank you guys for your support. Thank you for sustaining our favorite hobby. Fun fun hobby, Yes, indeed. (laughs) Um, And you know what, folks? It's that time. So until we meet again, stay nerdy. And tune in to us next week. Same nerd time, same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. Bye. Bye. Nerdicus! (laughs) (laughs) And roll credits. Famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. Wingardium Leviosa. It's not working. <laughs> <laughs>